Podcast. But taking this functional approach that included lifestyle and the way that we dealt with him and the exercise that we did, we would take him outdoors a lot to hike and, you know, really ground him in nature. And, you know, he's a fisheries biologist now because that's how we, so, you know, sort of that, heal him. That's so beautiful. And it's, it's the sort of, yeah. it was the genesis of how he was able to start shining his light again. Welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna Podcast. This podcast is meant to encourage you to connect within so you can share your light with the world. And now, here's your host, Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Welcome, beautiful souls, to another episode of the Cosmic Love Antenna, another round, another sitting here with me and a beautiful guest who I'm going to introduce in two seconds. But I just want to start this conversation with thanking you. If you've been listening to these episodes consecutively, uh, I appreciate you. I feel the love and I feel the expansion of this podcast already. My guest today is my dear friend, Dr. Emmy. Dr. Emmy is a holistic doctor from the US. She practices a board certified medical doctor functioning in holistic and, and, and functional and nutrigenomics. She does a lot of beautiful elements in her work and in her profession. But for me, Dr. Emmy, as are most guests that I bring onto this podcast, she's so much more than that. She's a powerful professional, but she's a deep and loving heart. And she really shares that with the beautiful souls that get to come into her life, me being one of them. So today I'm excited to share Dr. Emmy and her love with you. Dr. Emmy, welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna. Thank you, Harrison. It's so nice to be here with you. Dr. Emmy, where I want to start this chat is a little bit about your background. As I said in the intro, you're a doctor in the US and you have quite the, the background, you have quite the credentials. But I think for a lot of people, and I'll just speak for myself here, Dr. Emmy, when I go see my medical practitioners that I go to for support and guidance and assistance, Sometimes I'm really interested in sort of the story in which led them to where they were at, right? Because especially spending so much time getting all of the credentials you have to be the powerful uh, practitioner and doctor that you are, there's a reason. There has to be a pull to do that, right? There has to be a, 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 a loving light, if you could call it that, that directs your steps that you take down that progression. So I'd love to hear, Dr. Emmy, a little bit about your story and what landed you in the space and place where you find yourself today? Well, I mean, I started basically being interested in being a doctor probably around junior high or high school. I sort of knew that's what I wanted to do, but it is something that's really common in my family. My ancestors were physicians for literally thousands of years. And so that influence was always there. Both my parents are in medicine, although they're not physicians. My dad's a biomedical engineer and my mom is a master's in nutrition and a PhD in public health who teaches nutrition as a professor. So they're kind of in the paramedical field, but they're not quite, you know, physicians, but they still had, you know, this love of helping people um, through, you know, science and medicine. 
And I started really as just a regular, you know, medical doctor going through the normal training that most doctors go through in the U.S. I was lucky enough to get into, you know, a top 10 medical school and then a top 10 residency. But, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always interested in holistic health. And I remember as a fourth year medical student um, attending a sort of um, thing that was put on by one of the student organizations when they brought back doctors in practice. And one of the doctors was actually a lady who had already started doing integrative medicine. And this was way back in the 1990s. I mean, kind of unheard of, but she had, you know, an acupuncturist in her practice. She was doing herbs and she was, um, you know, really coaching people through lifestyle. Um, and so I remembered listening to her and thinking, wow, that's really neat. And I went up and talked to her and said, you know, how did you do this? And she said, well, you know, really concentrate on learning this, this regular medicine stuff because you'll need that. Um, but you'll, you can always branch out if that's your interest. You know, that's, that was her advice to me. And so that's what I did. I mean, I just basically went through and unfortunately, you know, life in medicine in the United States is not super healthy. <laughs> um, you know, when we go through our training, it's almost like military training where your personality gets broken down and then built back up in a certain manner. Can, uh, Dr. And, Amy, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I'm, I'm really fascinated and I'm sure, you know, listeners to this podcast, they have some sort of exterior view of the, of the process in which you go to. And I think that is the one element that we all hear about. We all hear about the you know, maybe the intensity or the just sort of extreme sort of hours and practice that goes into it. So you can, can you maybe break that down and maybe how that sort of shaped you and what that, how that impacted you? Definitely. I mean, I think things probably have changed in medical training a little bit, but back when I was going through, which was, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties, there was still this idea that, you know, this is a military system and there's ranks in medicine and, you know, one person is this and the other person is their subordinate. And so the way that you would be trained was basically almost a little bit abusive. I mean, there was one of our, you know, great mentors who's still thought of as one of the fathers of modern internal medicine, one of the people that first started checking labs and all of that. Um, you know, he would basically like take your chart and throw it out the window <laughs> and say, uh, you know, a crime has been committed, call the police, that kind of stuff. He would say, um, you know, here's a quarter. Back then, phones cost a quarter. Go call your mother. Here's a dime. Go call your mother. You know, tell them you're not going to be a doctor. Um, so, you know, it was just that, that charged atmosphere of really, you know, kind of making you feel like you weren't good enough so that you would strive to learn and, you know, achieve. But it was this very pressurized system. And the hours were crazy back then. I think they've outlawed those hours, but I think one time I was in the hospital for 48 hours before I got to go home. Um, people had been there 96 hours sometimes and surgeries that took a long time and bad post-op care that was tough to do and they just wouldn't pass it on. They would keep on you know, being there. The food that we would get was horrible. I mean, it was pizza and coke. I can I can only <laughs> imagine, Dr. Emmy, and it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, and I, we're probably going to get into this, knowing sort of the, the emphasis you have now on the things that we put in our body and how that promotes physical health. It's, I want to ask you a particular question here, but you know, reflecting on that sort of that development as a professional in that sort of environment that you were just talking about, it, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it, it seems to promote more of that sort of left left brain creation of just sort of, 
you know, hammering in, in in many ways, really good ways, like hammering in all of this information, all of these facts, all of these protocols, all of these procedures. So when it does come up, when you need to save someone's life, that's that infrastructure is there. Is that, Uh would that be a correct sort of analysis of it? Yeah. I mean, I I think that's true. Um, But it also kind of discounted a lot of what could be done, like empowering (laughs) patients that take control of their own health. I I mean, I remember, you know, just not teaching us that because it it was so hurried, you know, and and, um, basically like in our system, the medical student, you know, shows up at like 5 a.m. to see the patients and the intern at six and the resident at seven, the attending at eight. And it's all very like, you know, five to 10 minutes a patient. You're trying to get your notes done. You're trying to get all these things done. Um, I know it's not like that in all systems. I know my sister, for instance, did um, a rotation in Charing Cross in England, and she showed up at seven thinking she's the medical student. She should at least, you know, meet the resident first and then maybe the next day show up at five. And, you know, no one was in the hospital till nine and they all took tea breaks and they took a long time. So I think there's maybe other systems in which it's not as pressurized as the American medical system. But in ours, it was just very assembly line. It's like next, next, next. What's their list of problems? What do you need to do? And it really was a very chopped up way of thinking about patients, I would say. I think the so. key I think the key phrase you said there is assembly assembly line. And I think uh-huh. we could, I think we could copy and paste that onto many of our systems in the world and the types of humans that are created because of that. But that's a, that's another conversation for another episode, Dr. Emmy. I want to ask you now. I want to shift here a little bit in your story, and I want to really pull out of you something that we've I've heard you share before, and maybe we can go a little bit deeper on. And it's there's two things, two elements here. One is your your health transformation, because I know you've had, you had a big shift in your health and that's what really promoted some of the work that you're doing now. And mm-hmm. also where your sort of spiritual awakening connected in that, because I know that that's a big part of your story as well. So maybe share with people listening, you know, elements of this health transformation and all maybe some of these spiritual elements that coalesced and added to that. Most definitely. I mean, I, I've had quite a few things that really changed the way that I practice. I mean, I did have an episode of spiritual awakening when I was in college because I was always a very analytical thinker. And um, I grew up in a religion that's very logical in a lot of ways as religions go. Um, so, you know, uh, it does, it kind of believes in the scientific method and all that. And I, and I went along with it, but it also has a deeply spiritual and, and very, um, you know, mystical part to it. Unlike most religions, it doesn't divorce the mystical from the, from the, you know, everyday practice of religion, but I never really got into the mystical. I was like, yeah, this makes sense. You know, uh, worldwide education, one universal language we should all learn, um, you know, all these principles, eliminate racism, eliminate, you know, equalized station of women. And Dr. Um, Amy, what was the religion that you grew up in just for people interested? I grew up as a Baha'i. Uh, I grew up in Baha'i faith. And so it it just made sense to me, but I never really connected so much on a spiritual level and very rare cases that I ever connect on a spiritual level because that just wasn't how I was oriented. Um, And then, uh, but, you know, I had like my basic training and my, you know, Sunday school that I'd grown up in and just the things that I carried with me is how to treat people and all that 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 I learned. But when I I went to college, I actually... um, there was a summer when I won the Howard Hughes grant to do research. 
And as part of that grant, they put you up in kind of a posh dorm right next to the university so that you could run back and forth to the lab and get your work done. Well, for the first time in my life, I was actually exposed to the kind of food that a lot of people eat in institutions and that sort of thing, because I'd grown up in a Persian household where even though maybe by like anti-inflammatory diet standards, things weren't amazing, you still basically ate whole food, prepared food that was made fresh every day. Uh, back then, this was like the 80s, so we didn't have a lot of uh, the things in foods that we do now, a lot of alterations that happened in food. So your regular food was really not so bad. They used butter, not margarine. You know, they um, basically... That's a, that's a win. That's a win right yeah. there, right? Well, it's a we, traditional culture, right? They yeah. make their own yogurt, so you're actually yeah. getting cultured dairy. You're not getting like added non-fat milk solids in your yogurt. Like yeah. Your well, and just it. Just to interrupt you, Dr. Amy, because we talked about that the other day, and I just want to make sure people hear it as we continue your story. You know, that is the difference. That is the difference between a a bad fat and a good fat right there. Yeah. yeah, And a lot of traditional cultures have good, even though their food may be a little bit, you know, not quite as healthy, it's still a lot healthier than what you're going to get in the institution uh, because it's going to emphasize, you know, vegetables and balance and all this sort of stuff. And so that's how it was. And my mom's a nutritionist, so she actually you know, took a little bit of extra care with our food and, and our food was, you know, cleaner. I mean, she was probably one of the first people to shop at Whole Foods back when they were like two hippies next to the University of Texas in a room, you know, she was buying from them, that kind of thing. And so, um, so you know, I grew up like that. And then I, I got put into this, this place and, you know, the food, I mean, it all had like cornstarch and probably wheat thick thickeners and, you know, all these strange oils that I'd never been exposed to in my life. And I started to eat this food because it was just so yummy. I mean, it has all these things that make you addicted. And not only did I gain a lot of weight over that summer, but I also felt like spiritually bad. I mean, it was really very weird. Like I could not pray at all. Um, I could not really connect with the divine in any way. And, and mind you, I was always like very intellectual and that wasn't my thing. So but- this is this is very important, Dr. Amy. I just want to interrupt here because I want to make sure people hear this. This, we often feel... So a part of this podcast that I'm building, the message of this podcast is the cosmic love antenna, right? And what I mean by that is that like an antenna system, the frequency inside is just as important as the structure of the, of the, of the antenna or the satellite outside, right? So if you're in your story, right, if you go into this environment and your, your connection to a higher source, higher power within you or without you right, outside of you, is strong, but then that physical body that's supporting that connection is starting to become frail, is starting to be impacted by the foods that you're eating. That frequency's efficiency to be broadcasted is going to be decreased, right? So it goes both ways, right? The spiritual impacts the physical and the physical impacts the spiritual. Keep going, Dr. Amy. This is yeah, you know, I never really thought of it that way here, so that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's only in retrospect that I recognize what happened, because at the time I didn't recognize it at all. I was like, why am I depressed? I couldn't even, like, I'd been such a high achiever. I mean, I'd won this award to do this Howard Hughes research, but at the end of that summer, I couldn't even fill out my medical school applications. I was so depressed. And I was like, should I even be a doctor? I mean, I don't even know about this, you know, and it was such a huge shift for me. And I, and I remember going to a gym and these two older ladies who are about the same age I am now, probably 40s and 50s, who looked really great, were like, you know, you should really see a nature path. Um, it sounds like you have an adrenal crisis. And I was like, whatever. Yeah, I just didn't, didn't really pay attention. But I mean, that's really physically what would have helped me was something like that. But, you know, they weren't really available. I mean, this was the 1980s slash 90s, you know, in Texas. 
Um, and so um, <clears throat> anyway, so I went and I was just, you know, I, I felt abandoned. And I, and I said to the supreme beings of the divine, like, why have you abandoned me? Like, here I am. I'm trying to pray to you and I can't even do that. And it was at that point that really like I was hit by this just overwhelming light. And like I've described it to you before, it's a lot like when you read about St. Paul on the road to Damascus, you know, at the time he was Saul, he was this person who was persecuting people, really had no tolerance for spirituality, was really into quite kind of enforcing laws. And then all of a sudden he's hit with this light and he transforms into this person who, you know, really talks about seeking out the spirit uh, putting the spirit over the law and really transforming people spiritually, that's what becomes his mission. And that's sort of how I felt. I felt like the light just said, you know, I've always been here. You chose to turn away and here I am, like I'm in your face. And that's really what, you know, the spiritual thing was actually what pulled me out of this physical funk that I was in. And so it really brought home to me the, the power of bringing that spiritual healing to the physical practice of medicine and it took me years to actually integrate that because then I went to medical school and that was stamped out of me. But I came back because I remembered the experience, you know. And how could you not, right? Like that, yeah. you're, I've, like I've said, I've heard you share that story before, Amy, and I wanted you to share it here with everyone listening because it's so beautiful, right? It's so, it's so beautiful. And, it, and I, I think people listening, you know, and I know the people that I'm I'm starting to attract, but even I think some portion of the population that might be new to this podcast or new to me or new to you could hear that story and feel like, oh, that's so cliche. That's so that's such a cliche light coming down from beyond being opened up. But I think what we need to remember is that your your unique expression of how your spiritual nature flows through you is going to be your unique expression. So what I mean by that is that sometimes, yes, it is going to be exactly as you just explained, but also sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's going to be maybe just a voice in your head. Sometimes it's going to be maybe a feeling in your heart. I know for me, for example, a lot of my spiritual sensations, a lot of my spiritual guidance and channeling, if you want to call it that, comes through my heart center. I feel it deeply in my chest when I speak to beautiful people like you, for example. So I just, I want to, I want to emphasize Dr. Emmy's beautiful story to one, to show that yes, you might experience something like Dr. Emmy, but you might experience something completely different and either are acceptable, either are beautiful, because as long as it's connecting to that deep space that allows you to take a step forward, then that's all that matters. I want to shift here a little bit, Dr. Emmy. And I think with that sort of foundation of your background and this awakening that you've had. I want to talk about some of the things you're doing in this world now. And I, I want to keep this, this dance of the spiritual and the physical going here. And I have, I have a question for you that I, I, I want to, it's more of like a scratching my own itch. And I think you probably know our mutual friend, Michael Huey, and he's, mm -hmm. he's into, yeah. I had him on uh, a few weeks ago and we were talking about nutrigenomics and I know you're mm -hmm. a big, you're a big proponent and you do a lot of your work in nutrigenomics as well. And I asked him this question and I want to get your take on it. And the question is, and maybe you can explain a little bit about your, your nutrigenomic, uh, you know, understanding of what you do in the world with it right now. But my question is, do you think there is a spiritual component at play when we're going into the nutrigenomic conversation? For example, I know a big part of nutrigenomics is 
working out what our genetic SNPs are and then working out what the epigenetic switches are that we can turn on and off through supplementation. Do you uh-huh. think there is a spiritual sense that we can build into this? Am I making Absolutely. sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from a spiritual standpoint, to me, nutrigenomics is really your connection to your ancestors and who you are as a unique person. I mean, there's nothing like nutrigenomics to show that we're all so different. I mean, I recently as a birthday present, um, sent my sister a nutrigenomic test and I helped her interpret it. Um, and she's also a physician, but she just doesn't have the same experience in nutrigenomics. So she wanted me to kind of go through this with her. And it's interesting how different we are as sisters. So we're unique, really. We have some of the same ancestry. We share 25% or, you know, 50% of our genes rather, but, you know, we still have these different things about us um, as sisters. So, um, so, you know, those are the two things about nutrigenomics that I think make it very spiritual. One is that it shows us that we're all these unique people, not just spiritually, but also physically, even twins have some nutrigenomic variation because uh, their immune systems, the HLA system is actually put together in utero and changes from person to person. And you can have things happen in different places. So not even twins are exactly alike. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of the interesting thing about it. And then also that's your connection to your ancestors, which for me has been a huge connection as a healer, you know, thinking about uh, my ancestors were Jewish doctors who, who functioned in the Persian empire, largely for most of history as physicians to the court. Um, And so, you know, I think about them a lot as this minority uh, ethnic group who was so excellent that they were able to really, um, you know, be in that position to be the people picked to take care of kings and queens and, you know, the court, Um, even though, you know, if they didn't have the skills they had, they would not be at all. I mean, they'd probably be killed, you know, they wouldn't be valued at all. So it was and, and those skills were in natural medicine. And so that really, you know, there was no, you know, Merck and Pfizer back then. And so, um, you know, the Ayurvedic medicine that we use is very close to the kind of medicine that they practice. And that's why I feel such a kinship to Ayurveda, because a lot of what they practice wasn't recorded, but, but Ayurveda thankfully was, and it's very much the same system. And so, um, you know, that deep connection to herbs and to things that grow um, to cycles, to, um, you know, chakras, like you like to talk about, um, all of those things were part of the medicine that they practice. And so that's why, you know, ancestrally, I feel a huge kinship to that. And I think nutrigenomics is kind of like that. It's like reaching back into your ancestry and looking at, you know, who were your ancestors? Why did certain ways of living, um, you know, come about for them that made it advantageous for them to live certain ways? Um, and really tapping into that power for yourself into the modern world. So that's kind of, and it's interesting now because so many of us are a mix of different things. And so we don't come from the one village where we know exactly what our ancestors did. Um, and, you know, there's crossing over at meiosis. So we get, our genes can kind of get mixed. Some come from our parents, one parent and one from another, yeah. but they can switch out. And so, you know, we're such a mix. And so the nutrigenomics really helps us sort out what did we get from each side and, you know, all that. So that way. Dr. Amy, I have a question, and this isn't on my list of things to ask you here, but it's coming through. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little bit excited about what your answer is going to be. You just, a big part of my work, what I do with clients is connecting to that ancestral line that you were just talking about is helping them mm-hmm. through deep meditative states to bring in their ancestors to be have be their guides be their support with the work that they're doing in the world Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering 
you know, based off what you just said, both, both about the nutrigenomic kind of work that you do and also your awareness of this, this, this vast history you have behind you, have you ever attempted or have you felt any presence or any of these ancestors with you when you're doing this kind of either nutrigenomic work or any of your work in general? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel their power as healers. Um, as you know, and back then, I mean, they didn't really separate doctors from healers and spiritual people. I mean, these people were rabbis and doctors because that's what educated people were. They did both. Um, and so I really feel that connection that they bring to me. And I, and I often feel them behind me. And I remember someone who's really good at looking at that once told me, I see, you know, I can actually see that power, you know, behind you, that power enveloping you. And so that's what I really feel, I really feel that presence in, in so many ways uh, in my life. Uh, and I think about, um, you know, my dad's ancestor, um, his name was Hakim Bajan. He was like the, you know, um, one of the most celebrated doctors and, and sort of his spiritual path, which uh, my dad's actually writing a book about. So it's, it's very, um, it is very much a presence in my life and in my work as a healer. So, and that's why I kind of think of myself as more of a healer than just yeah. like a doctor. So. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, which goes into the minute, my next question that I want to ask here, Dr. Emmy, I think a lot of medical professionals, I mean, just from my, from what I've seen in the world are making that shift right there, integrating. And I've seen it just in the small amount of time that I've known you and seen things you speak about. Mm-hmm. I think there is a, maybe a longing, whether it's conscious or unconscious for, to combine, combine the maybe allopathic scientific model and all the beautiful things that it provides and Mm -hmm. the sort of Eastern, you know, ancient perspectives that some of them you just hit on and bringing it together and maybe making a new sort of system. And that's where I want to ask you here next, Dr. Emmy is in the future, looking forward as the professional that you are, the practitioner as you are, where do you see, where do you see things going? So like maybe the, how that sort of holistic medicine, which is what you practice now and the allopathic model and the Eastern philosophies, where, what do you, when you look to the future, what do you predict? What do you, what do you see both in yourself and in the industry at large? I mean, I think it is going to become more and more of a thing that people can access. You know, there's already integrative medicine residencies in the United States uh, which are, you know, I would have never thought, you know, 20 years ago that those would be a thing, but they're they're becoming more and more common. Um, there's more doctors looking at things like acupuncture, uh, like things like mind-body medicine, you know, as ways of helping patients. Um, and I see it in my own profession, uh, you know, that there are a lot more doctors who are open to these approaches. Um, and... Um, I tend to see it more in doctors who are maybe in, you know, marginalized communities that are actually looking at this more, uh, more readily because um, there need to be more resources for people that, that have, uh, you know, the more serious medical issues. And that's, um, those are some of the advocates that I've seen emerge, you know, more, uh, but it, it is becoming more common for everyone to really look at these approaches um, you know, not just as a last resort, but as a way of really achieving health, um, as a way of, you know, helping, um, you know, have a 
overall wellness rather than just, you know, Band-Aid kind of medicine. Um, and as a way of really doing things that you can't do in allopathic medicine. I mean, one of the things that really convinced me that this was the way to go, and you know the story about me, is that, you know, I have a son on the autism spectrum. And uh, in the way standard of care medicine was practiced, I mean, the only thing we were offered for him is a medicine to calm him down. <laughs> and one that would not have really changed his neurological outcome, that would not have addressed what was going on with him. Um, it turns out that kids with on the autism spectrum, many of them actually have these nutrigenomic issues that we talk about. A lot of them have problems with B vitamin methylation. A lot of them have problems with glutathione, which is our cell's natural antioxidant. They don't produce it as well. And so they're more likely to be hit with toxins, for instance, and not be able to handle it, especially toxins that can cross the blood brain barrier. Um, and, you know, my son was ill in more ways than one, and, and no one really took a holistic look at that. I mean, he had huge bowel issues. He had asthma. He had these tonsils that were, you know, wrapping around his vocal cords and stopping him from breathing, actually. Um, so it wasn't just the, the behavior that, that we were seeing in the autism spectrum. He was ill. And lifestyle change really helped all of that. I mean, I took him off gluten, dairy, sugar, artificial flavor, artificial color, uh, put him on these antioxidants that people don't normally use, pycnogenol and bilberry, which is pine bark extract and, and you know, really high quality fish oil. And his destiny really changed. Um, and it was all based in the basic science literature. There was basis for it in the basic science literature, but there were no randomized clinical trials and these little guys, you know, because they're all so unique. Um, but taking this functional approach that included lifestyle and the way that we dealt with him and the exercise that we did, we would take him outdoors a lot to hike and you know, really ground him in nature. And, you know, he's a fisheries biologist now because that's how we, so, you know, sort of that, heal him. That's so beautiful. And it's, it's the sort of, yeah. it was the genesis of how he was able to start shining his light again, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. And it's interesting, Dr. Emmy, hearing you say that. And that's when I look into the future and, and, and look at the shift that is occurring in the world, that is what I see, what, what you just explained, is, is medicine, is healthcare, is individualized support for people moving through health challenges where the beautiful holistic system of systems that we are is acknowledged, right? Mm -hmm. So if there is something like autism or ADHD, I was just, I just had a, I had Dr. Phil on another mutual friend that we had, and we were talking about this exact topic. We're talking about the impact of both the gut on autism and ADHD, and also mm -hmm. something that I do the inner child, inner child work, right? The emotional sort of regulation and going back to the childhood environment to help those little, little souls move through things that maybe they didn't get as a child, right? Because uh -huh. we know no matter the, 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 the parents that we had, we all have something that we could maybe look at to add a bit more love to, right? This is where sort of reparenting comes in. If I, if I didn't get the opportunity to grieve and grow, for example, around a tragic event, then we can pinpoint that. And as adults now, be the parent for ourselves to allow that emotion to flow. And what mm -hmm. we don't realize is how much this impacts our physiological challenges that we now are manifesting. And that's just one example, right? And I see moving forward, a lot of practitioners really like yourself, Dr. Emmy, really taking in all these threads. And I think it's beautiful. I want to talk a little bit now, Dr. Emmy, if you're comfortable with it. And I didn't actually put this in the show notes, but uh, it's again, it's bubbling up for me. 
I want to talk about the last couple of years. And I know that this is a very controversial topic at the moment. So again, just for you, talk about what you feel comfortable with. But I want to ask you, you know, how have the last two years of events been for you as a practitioner? Maybe, you know, speak whatever you feel is on your heart. What What's it been like in regards to, you know, working within the pandemic in terms of all the little elements? I'm just interested as a person who loves you very much, how that has looked for you. Well, it's been interesting. And it's, it's shown me the stark contrast between you know, sort of the lifestyle systems, functional medicine approach and kind of the Band-Aid kind of approach because, uh, you know, being in the ICU, I mean, basically I saw people come in who uh, for the most part had their exceptions. There are a few healthy people that had complications with COVID and I won't say that there weren't, but for the most part, I mean, I started checking vitamin D levels in people that I was, you know, putting on the ventilator and they were all very low, I mean, without exception, which was weird. Um, although this literature was showing that, but it was like, wow, you know, it's really there. Um, now, of course, there's literature showing that once you're there, vitamin D doesn't really help you, but it helps your immune system to not get there because it really helps with, you know, for instance, um, yeah, for, for your immune system not going overboard, it's an immune modulator. So, you know, I, I noticed that about the people that I was admitting um, many times, there was not a lot of attention to lifestyle. Uh, and, you know, I, my N is 200. I mean, I have 200 patients in my primary care practice, but I haven't had a single person that's had super horrible complications of COVID. And I really think a lot of that has to do with, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, lifestyle. we were all very cautious. But yeah, lifestyle, you know, being um, very cognizant of the way that you eat, uh, to not suppress your immune system, making sure that you have your nutrients in order, uh, vitamin D and zinc and all that. Uh, and I'm not saying these are cure-alls. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that your immune system takes raw materials like anything else. And what astonished me was people were like, well, why are vaccines failing in the elderly population? And it was like, well, you know, we're giving people vaccines who have really no raw materials to mount an immune response. They have no vitamin A, they have no vitamin D, they have no zinc. And we expect them to like out of nothing manufacture antibodies. That's really not gonna happen. And you know, these people in nursing homes, I mean, if you see the food that they're eating, the fact that, um, you know, if they are even getting a multivitamin supplement, it's one that has hydrogenated oils and BHT, which is a preservative that's a free radical and artificial color and flavor, uh, binding up any vitamins that they might get from this particular supplement. And most of them aren't, aren't even getting that. Um, and so, you know, it was a stark contrast, like being in the ICU and seeing all of this go on, and then also being on the other side of it as a primary care doc, trying to prevent patients from getting there. Um, you know, it was also humbling as an American, because as Americans, we really think of our country as just so amazing. And, you know, we fared worse than a lot of what people quote, refer to as third world countries yeah. and how we responded to the pandemic. I mean, we had no personal protective equipment in our hospitals. We were, you know, wearing the same mask for 40, I mean, 40 well, days and trying well, to Dr. Emmy, them, so. that's actually <laughs> what I wanted to ask you now with this. And yeah. again, again, just, you know, answer as much as you feel comfortable. Cause I, sure. you know, the fact that I have to say this is a whole conversation in itself, right. But just whatever you yeah. feel comfortable with. And my question is uh, how was it for you as the individual? 
right? I, I, and just an example, right? I, I look out, I look in, I'm just a coach and a practitioner on the outside, right? And I look in at people like you that are on the front lines over these last two years of COVID. And, you know, I feel stressed looking in. So how, as you as an individual, how did that go? How did your stress levels go? How did, how did you cope with some of the sort of the heightened states of what you were moving through? Well, in the beginning, um, I remember seeing like a, a meme from a, from a 85 year old Italian doctor who was called back to the front lines. And he said something like, you know, if you're a doctor and, and your main concern is your own health, maybe you should have chosen another profession. And that really gave me a lot of a lot of courage, you know, because you don't know what you're stepping into. I mean, what's this going to be like? It was really crazy. I mean, it was 13 hours of being in gear and not being able to go to the bathroom or eat. I mean, I, I'm not going to lighten it. I mean, and seeing people die in front of you, it was it was harsh. Um, but at the same time, for me, I made sure that I did things that were things that would help me to continue to function. So I took my supplements. I couldn't get a lot of sleep but I did when I could, I worked out, um, you know, I kept in touch with friends, even on Zoom, I had my friend Darren Motamity do like a, who's a jazz saxophonist. We hosted a, you know, uh, a devotional, a jazz devotional uh, on, online so that people could, you know, kind of get spiritual um, sort of reawakening. And ground and unwind. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so those were the things that I sort of did. And at the same time, I was heartbroken and disappointed both in my country and in hospital administrations who seem to, you know, think of healthcare workers as totally expendable. Um, and so it, it was really a hard time in, in so many ways, a very complex time. Um, you know, in some ways, like as a doctor, you're like, how many times are you going to see a whole new infection and pandemic evolve? So it was interesting also in, in this morbid way. Um, because, you know, since 1918, no one's really seen this sort of carnage, you know, to, to say it, say it um, and had to deal with it like on the hospital level. So, um, so yeah, yeah, it was a very complex, complex thing. Well, Dr. Yeah. Emmy, just from, from a friend who loves you very much, you came out on the other side as a beautiful shining light. I see you now. And we, it's interesting just for people who maybe, uh, you know, I didn't share this at the start of the podcast, but Dr. Emmy and I met on the Clubhouse platform and the Clubhouse came out right at the start of when the pandemic hit. And I've, uh, you know, I, I met you right at the, almost right at the start of it, Dr. Emmy, and it's been interesting just observing you from the outside. And, you know, uh, and obviously there are always internal elements that we don't see. But externally, Dr. Emmy, you've done a beautiful job. So I just want to say I'm very, I'm very grateful to have met you. And it seems like all of the things that you you preach and you teach other people, you practice yourself. So uh, wonderful job, my friend. I want to shift a little bit off that. And thank you for going into that. It was just something that came in that I thought maybe it would give some people listening some value. I want to go more into your practice now, Dr. Emmy, before we you know, we're another about 10 minutes here before we close up. And I want to hear a little bit about, you know, your, your perspective on individualized care, right? And we've, we've hit on it throughout this chat in many ways, mm -hmm. but I, I want to really hear from you why you think this is important, right? Why you think treating, you know, a soul that comes to see you, even from a sort of nutrigenomic perspective, why mm -hmm. it's important to 
you know, one, test, not guess, but two, treat each individual person's health journey as nuanced and individualized? Well, you know, the reason is that so many things get missed when you try to fit people into a one size fits all type thing. And so for me, you know, my journey, which is I used to be 100 pounds overweight, you know, from medical training, from having children and then landing in a town where I was like one of the few doctors that, you know, would get called to the hospital at any time of night and day um, and trying to survive that uh, as a person in my 30s while, you know, your hormones really shift as a woman in your 30s. And so it was it was really tough because, you know, I think a lot of women are in where, where I was, you know, they have little kids, they have a stressful job, they have no time for themselves and the, the pounds keep packing on. And then they're given this advice, like, you know, just eat less and exercise. And um, no one really digs deep into why things are happening to them. And it can happen to men, too, but it's more common in women. Um, and, you know, for me, it ended up being three things that were really hard to diagnose that were very individual. I had a very hard to diagnose thyroid disease. I had Hashimoto's, but otherwise normal looking thyroid labs, but my thyroid function was not stable. Um, I had MTRR, which is a mutation which has to do with um, methylation, a lot, kind of like MTHFR, but it has more metabolic consequences uh, because you don't make methionine, which is something you need to burn fat. And interestingly, taking methionine doesn't help you if you don't make it endogenously. Making it endogenously seems to be the thing. Um, and then I also had really serious insulin resistance from a family history of diabetes. And, you know, I was offered the drug metformin. Well, unfortunately, the drug metformin wreaks GI havoc on people. I just couldn't imagine taking it and going to work and having to run to the bathroom. And it also depletes B vitamins. So I've seen it backfire. So I really was like, Oh, I really don't know when I do that. And, and sort of learning to heal myself and figuring out all these things. Um, I sort of started looking at all the things that are missed about people who uh, present to the doctor with, gosh, I just can't lose this weight. And, you know, they're not all the same things that I face, but for instance, some people have low adiponectin, their mitochondria, the little energy packets in their cells aren't working. Some people have other genetic issues where, you know, if we know what they are, there's certain kinds of exercise or certain kinds of diet that will really help them. And so um, I started sort of applying this thing because I was already doing nutrigenomics uh, in my practice to looking at it from weight loss and, and started and also checking you know, a lot of detailed blood work as to why people weren't losing weight. Was it their adrenals? Was it hard to diagnose thyroid issues? Was it this issue with adiponectin or leptin, these hormones that don't normally ever get checked uh, when people are having these struggles? And really found that I could help people very individually to figure out what would be best, best for them based on where they were, not just from their genes, but like what their hormones look like, what their lifestyle was, what stresses they were facing, like you uh, talk about Harrison. And even a lot of it is, is, you know, childhood trauma. I mean, I had a patient who uh, was, had lost, you know, over a hundred pounds and she gained it all back because um, once she was thin, it brought back like sexual abuse as a child. And that triggered her. She was like, I don't want to be thin. I'm going to gain this weight back to protect myself. That's, um, a, big, that's so, a big one, Dr. Amy. That's a, that's a big one. So just, yeah. to interrupt, just to interrupt you there, right, to explain mm -hmm. that mechanism that she just talked about, mm -hmm. a big part of it, and this is not everyone, again, we're all individualized, but a big part of, of that mechanism with the abuse and the weight gain and the food addiction in some cases is a protection mechanism, 
right? If we've been through some kind of abuse, one way that we can activate that protection to stop us from happening again, it's almost an unconscious urge and, and, and desire for food to pack on the weight. So we're protected Mm -hmm. from any future abuse, right? So I just want to hit on that. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, so absolutely. So those factors can be huge also. So you know, and this person who's everything physiologically was correct, there were still, you know, these factors reaching back from, you know, her past, her childhood. And so, um, you know, looking at a person holistically in their journey to, to achieve the body composition they want is really kind of become my mission because I think a lot of people, you know, they go to the doctor and they're treated badly because they have increased weight from one thing, which is so awful. And, you know, like, I remember just thinking like, you know, doctors think that I'm lazy and sit on the couch and eat bonbons and and potato chips. But at the time I was like going up a mountain three to four days a week, I was eating 1200 calorie, you know, vegan diet, which was very unsuitable for me, but, but, you know, I was really trying. I just didn't know what was suitable for me. I mean, that might've been a a good way for other people. In the moment, right. So it's, so yeah. thank you for sharing all that, Dr. I mean, it's, you know, I'm mm-hmm. so passionate about it myself. And I think it's probably one of the reasons we're so, we're so close in French and that we're friends because we see that vision. And it's something I talk about a lot too, is that not only are we a holistic system of systems that is interacting, you know, across all of these, all these different pathways, right? What the way that we do one thing is the way that we do all things, but we're dynamic, Right. So next week, based off my stresses, for example, you know, a vegan diet might promote health in me. But then the week after that, based off things that are happening in the world at the moment, right? You know, it seems like shit is hitting the fan every week these days. Based off those stress levels, as one little example, my body might need more protein based off what I've been exposed to. So it's just, I just want to highlight the work that Dr. Amy does. It's just, it's so important for people to see, and it helps us get out of diet culture and tribalism and gets us back to what is good for us as the individual. Dr. Emmy, I want to, I have one more question for you as we wrap up here, but before I get to that, I want to give you a little, just a little bit of space here. You, as you, as the listeners have been tuning into and hearing, you do a lot of things in this world. And I want to give you the opportunity now to maybe share a little bit of that. What is something that you wish to promote with the people listening that maybe they can reach out to you and find out more with, whether it be your practice, your, your nutrigenomics, what, what do you want to share with everyone? I mean, really, you know, what I love to do is, is kind of help people get to the bottom of things, to the root cause of things. Um, you know, I can do that as a primary care doc in two states, uh, Texas and Washington in the United States, um, because that's where I'm licensed and can, you know, actually practice. But I can help people really across the world if their challenge is that they really hit hit the wall when it comes to weight loss, because that's testing that can be done remotely and advice that that can be given that doesn't require medications. And so, and I don't use medications when I help people lose weight. So that is something that I can do really to help people across the world. And I do, you know, I don't function in that by myself. I do function with people like you, Harrison, who actually walk people through that journey because as a doc, I mean, my best time is really spent diagnosing, looking at those labs and those hormones and figuring out and maybe figuring out that they have an inner child issue, but that's not my specialty. That's Harrison's specialty. So really, you know, pointing people in the right directions when it comes to that and having them work with the right people. So that's really what I feel like I can offer people that's really unique, that that um, comes from a place of, of having walked that walk. Um, and, and, and Dr. Amy, you do telemedicine? 
Do you do like over? I do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I oh. do, you know, teleconsulting. I mean, it's kind of health consulting because I'm not a doctor in those yeah. states or those countries, but I can still consult. I can still help um, with that particular issue because that's kind of what I'm set up to do, um, you know, Beautiful. kind of across the world. Yeah. So. Beautiful. So what, I, what I'll do, Dr. Emmy, is I'll get you to send me some of your information and for people listening, I'll, uh, I'll put Dr. Emmy's details and how you can reach out to her in the show notes if you want to touch base with this powerful soul. Dr. Emmy, I have one final question here as we wrap up, and it's a question that I ask everyone here who joins me on this podcast. A big part of my mission in the world, and especially with this platform, is promoting my transformation of this cosmic love antenna. And at the mm-hmm. base of it and the foundation of it is the love that we have inside of us that we then use to connect to the love outside of us. So Dr. Amy, my question for you is how do you personally define love? Boy, that's a hard one. <laughs> but I think love, you know, has so many, um, so many facets to it. Um it represents to me goodwill. It represents to me the best of us as human beings, um, you know, wanting to do the best for others and, and being a servant uh, really to other people. Um, it represents, um, you know, a connection with the divine, um, you know, and coming from the Persian tradition, I mean, that's always represented in, in wine and, you know, it has these symbolisms, you know, these mystical symbolisms of how you (laughs) quotes, but really to me, that's what it is. It's this, you know, burning desire and passion to make the world a better place. Um, Whether it be with your partner or spouse, your children or the world at large, I think that all comes from love. And then that connection with the divine to actually channel that, you know, to others. That's really how I see it. Beautiful. Dr. Emmy could not have said it better myself. My dear friend, thank you for joining me in this conversation. It's been so nice to go a bit deeper with you and then share that with everyone listening. Uh, I love you very much. I hope you have a wonderful day for everyone listening. I'm wishing you a wonderful evening, morning and afternoon, wherever you are in the world. We both love you unconditionally. This has been another episode of the Cosmic Love Antenna and we're out. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow Harrison on Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at Harrison Ma. That's Harrison, M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. 
my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.